0: Welcome to another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, we have a live Q&A on executive function. And as many of you know, my friend Becky Gardner is joining me with a life of my own answering these questions on executive function. So with that, I have a group of parents that have come to you with questions. So is there anyone that wants to start or should I just go ahead and start with my question that Ann and I were talking about earlier today? Anybody want to go first? All right. Well, Anna and I were talking earlier, Becky, and you know me, I am obsessed with the executive function. So Anna and I were talking earlier about just kind of the fundamental, what was the shift when it comes to executive function and like young people in the sense that um, I don't think that executive function deficits is something that we're seeing when it is just just in the neurodivergent um, population. I yeah, see it. I totally agree. Yeah, so I'm seeing it with my yeah. neurotypical teenagers. I'm seeing it in young adults. It's not just specific to individuals that have ADHD necessarily. So Anne and I were just, you know, talking at the office and we were thinking you know is the difference you know what is the major difference between how we were raised and how our children of today are raised and so one of the things that her and I both noted is that when we were kids when we would wake up in the morning like during the summer or on weekends we would grab our stuff head outside and we were gone all day long playing outside exploring problem solving getting into a lot of trouble in many cases at least in my world I was getting into- what I know shocking right? <laughs> but now it's a total of shift. We would never think about kicking our kids out and being like, hey, I don't want to see you until the streetlights come on. And so, does that change maybe kind of how executive function skills are developing? I mean, what is your personal opinion on that? I, I mean, are Anna and I even close or do we not really have accurate information as to why we're seeing so many challenges when it comes to executive function?
1: Uh, Great question. And I love your curiosity and questioning nature. I I wish I could tell you that I had all of the answers. I can't say that I do. I do think that you may be on to something, at least to some degree, because problem solving and using executive functioning skills both are a practiced activity that then we learn to perfect as we get older so executive functioning strengths like we talked about before those are the ones that you have their strengths because you practice them the most so for whatever reason in your childhood or whatever your circumstances were your what becomes your executive functioning strengths are the ones that you have used reused perfected Whatever. I so I would say that in that sense, that that makes some sense as far as your question goes, you know, is is less use of it or more use of it impacting our executive functioning skills on the flip side. When it comes to executive functioning weaknesses that I prefer to call barriers, because I don't think that anyone's weak when they have executive functioning weaknesses. Every human on the planet has executive functioning strengths, and we all have executive functioning barriers that stop us or slow us down from doing whatever it is we're trying to do or want to do. I don't know that when it comes to the barriers that that necessarily is supports it, but maybe it does. I, I don't know. I would agree with you that we Are definitely more aware and curious about executive functioning skills. And so then is part of that kind of the old belief or thing that we're, we're, once we become sensitized or very aware of something, you know, do we notice it more? Has it always been there to the same degree? I think not, but I do think that awareness does play into why we ask ourselves these questions. And Something that comes to my mind, and I can't point to a research anything on it, but something that has made sense to me in terms of why does there appear to be more executive dysfunction. One of the executive functions is concentration or attention. And I feel like pretty significantly there's a link between a lack of default mode where our brains have downtime and that thinking happens in the background i think we these days spend so much time on social media or technology or whatever and the stuff comes at us so fast that our brains don't have time to have that work go on in the background because they're over occupied or super occupied. And so without that downtime, we lose the ability to come up with creative solutions or practice our executive functioning skills so much. I heard a statistic, I think it was today, that 10 years ago, the average attention span was three minutes and now we're down to 45 seconds. So if you think about, you know, advertising and movies and, you know, have you gone back and watched an old movie? It's pretty boring when we thought it was fascinating back in the day, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey or War Games or, you know, some of those that were just, wow, they're super boring now.
0: (laughs) So. I, That's so you know true. That. I tried to get my kids to watch E.T. because that was just yeah. like such a phenomenal movie. And they were just like, this is so lame. I can't believe that this was like a like that, like a famous right? movie. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, geez. It just it just crushed no. my soul. I know. No, no, you don't understand, really. <laughs> it really was so cool back then. Also, even the original Star Wars from when we were kids, like when they look at those ones, they're just like, oh, my gosh, these are terrible. And I was like, wait, these yeah. are amazing. You're so no. right. Yeah.
1: So anyway, that's that's what my brain goes to. But I don't I can't point to any research. I don't know that that's fact or proven, but yeah. And here's the thing. I think it's,
0: yeah, I think it's really important to point out that really exact executive function is actually just now really getting a lot of light and more people are devoting actual time and effort to understanding some of the barriers and challenges that we're seeing in our young people when it comes to executive function. So I think that while science is still out and we're still trying to come up with like some definitive answers, there's really nothing that's real solid right now because it's just finally of a, aha we have a yeah. problem. and so again that's why there's not as many providers like yourself out there working specifically targeting executive function out there as many as we would like to be. so i think that's worth definitely throwing out there. so so we had a question that was actually sent to us by a parent and the question is do kiddos begin to catch up on any any when it comes to maturity levels as they get a little older and if so at what age does this begin to possibly happen? And I have to admit, I'm just very curious about this myself, because I have always heard that kids that have ADHD and other factors going on are three years behind their neurotypical peers, which is a huge gap when you're talking about, you know, childhood. I mean, three years is a big developmental gap when you're looking at that. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say on that.
1: Yes. Again, opinion. So catch up and three years and there are a lot of things in there that I that make me want to address them um so catching up I don't know that there's a moment where things are super accelerated for ND student child whatever um that you know they all of a sudden catch up I I don't I haven't seen that in my work or in my own family. But I do think that there is a a time period where students have developmentally lagged for sure, and I don't know that that has to do with brain function. Possibly it does. The way I tend to think about it is more that students have been overly occupied with all of the extra things that they have to solve to get through a day, the sensory or the anxiety or the hundred other extra things. And so they become developmentally behind because All of these things keep getting in their way. And so I do think that there is a point at which most students that I've worked with and my own two neurodiverse children got to a point where they had, whether they realized it or not, they had begun to really figure out at some level how to manage those extra pieces whatever it is. And at that point, then they had the capacity to, it's, it's usually the typical developmental course, you know, things are not out of sequence a lot, but they are open then to go through that process. And because it is at a later age, I think it's, somewhat accelerated you know that learning to crawl or walk or you know any of the developmental milestones because they're older and more mature and have more experience yes they can go through them a l- somewhat faster than the their peers that went through them years ago so yes and no and at what age wow you know here we go again if you've met a person with autism you've met a person with autism right so what i have seen i've worked with a couple hundred students at this point what i see is somewhere in the i don't know the decade from 23 to 35 is when so many things that you know as a parent you start to think well you know maybe i i didn't have my expectations at a, at the right level maybe that was unfair and you kind of let things go from, you know, maybe what you had thought was going to be the case at one time or whatever. In that, in the the 20s and the early 30s is when students, children, adults really blossom is what I have seen. And that is so fun to watch. And they surprise themselves and they get excited. And that's really when the most magic happens from what I've seen.
2: So what you're saying is I'm almost there. Yeah, <laughs> It's right around the corner. Is that what yeah. is that what you're saying? The exciting um, stuff is about ready I to happen. There, so I, I yes. do have a question um, uh, along those lines to kind of mm-hmm. draw that out a little bit more. When you say that happens, it does. Is there any need or or I guess is there any benefit or detriment to and i'm not going to say this the right way forcing that on them and and then when i say forcing meaning when they finally have to face some some real the practical consequences of well you know you don't have a job. You don't have any money. You don't have anything to eat. I mean, I guess that we what we struggle with greatly is walking the line between is it is it yeah. they can't or they won't. You know, it's the can't or won't, yeah. and are they capable or are they just not not wanting to because they they don't have to because we've you know we're taking care of everything and we're I hate to say coddling, but that would probably be an appropriate word and and how how useful is it to say all right now you it's kind of at this point it's time to sink or swim or is that really the way to go or is there a better way to you know yeah finally kick them out of that rut what are yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts on that
1: fantastic question i i so feel your pain <laughs> yes and i i do think that that is probably the biggest question honestly if you have a neurodiverse child adult that you are raising that's the big one in my mind and i think what it comes down to is making sure that your child knows adult child person that you are on their team it's not that i'm going to make you because honestly you can't make them you you can't you can't even make them take out the garbage i mean it's just it's it's gonna have to come from them. And so if they realize that you know you are looking out for their best interest in you know, I I want you to succeed and yet maybe you're not getting ready for work on timer. I, I don't know what it is that this is something I've noticed and I want to help you and be on your side and, me negging you is not um, getting you there. What else can we do? What ideas do you have? And it's, it's taking that. And instead of, I mean, you're not going to know the answer, right? If they can't, or they won't, you are never going to know. So it comes down to problem solving with them. And having the conversation sitting down with them i really want to help you solve this because i don't want it to hold you up in your progress and going through the the collaborative problem solving steps of let's brainstorm some options let's let's i say let's i will support you while you pick the one you want to start with and then supporting them along the way is the best that I think a parent can do. And they will feel supported and that you're on their side and get their needs met in that way. And then you don't have that awful feeling. I had a provider when my son was 19, I think, and he was having a super rough time and he Graduated from high school. And, you know, then what? And there was, despite trying to get some things set up, there was really nothing. And um, we had a provider we were working with at the time. Now, this was 15 years ago. You know, we didn't know as much then. But the provider at the time said, you just have to stay one step ahead and you have to outthink him and kind of trick him into doing the right thing and find ways to motivate him to do the right thing well not only is that exhausting and impossible it also makes for a really adversarial relationship and that's not how what you want your relationship with your child to be as they become an adult or ever so Supporting them being on that same team and working with them. And when the ideas come from them, that brings in, like we talked about before, the internal motivation and they are more apt to challenge themselves. Can I do this? I thought it might work. There's a lot more interest there in in having it work instead of well, I don't really feel like getting out of bed and getting to work on time. You know, I mean, there's there's just that, that interest in hoping that it will go right when it's intrinsically motivated. So does that answer your question sort of?
2: Yes, but <laughs> yes, but oh yeah, there's no, always yes, more, but, right? You know, it's there that when yeah. there's no motivation there, and when when the the there is no effort to solve the problem, and it's well, why would I want to do that? I'm fine doing nothing, which is what I'm doing right now. So why would I want to change that? And I our say, and we're yeah. getting to the point where it's like, well, if you want to eat, if you know. If you don't want to starve, if you don't want to be homeless, but, but we feel like it's almost like it almost has to come to that or, or it doesn't happen. And that's where I, that's where I struggle with the, is it, is it forcing them to face that when, you know, when you remove all those comforts or, or resources, is that the only way to get them to finally, to finally get motivated, so to speak?
0: Yeah because yeah yeah. For Farah, um you know, her son might be totally content living in mom and dad's basement for the span of their life because for some kids they really do want that sense of independence, they want to live independently, they want sure. to have no, a he's... significant other. Some, like what Farah is kind of concerned with is, is that they don't necessarily they're I'm fine living with my mom ba- in my mom's basements I'm fine not working. I'm fine, you know, in that in that role. And Evoking so like reality. Yeah. Avoiding reality, obviously fair. And I have talked at great length about this. And so I I hear what you're saying fair, because that is a real valid concern for a lot of people where, you know, they would live in mom's basement and eat mom's food and they don't care about personal hygiene because they don't, haven't thought ahead about, Oh, do I want a significant other in my life? And personal hygiene is important. So like, how do you push that, push that a little bit, Yeah, yeah. get that kick in the butt. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, I think I think um, you are exactly right that natural consequences are real and um, other consequences are not so real. So um, if your son has the understanding, the true understanding, not just, well, I roll, mom said, if I blah, you know, blah, 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 then this will happen, but the true deep understanding that you're not going to live forever because no one does. And there will come a point where it's not an option to live in the basement or whatever it is that the, the, the other option is to be homeless or live in a shelter or whatever it is. I mean, though that's very real. And I think natural consequences are a really good way for young adults to feel the the weight the gravity of the situation and so I don't I don't know that it's zero to a hundred so some smaller natural consequences along the way I don't know whatever you would would work for your family but you know maybe it's we need to think ahead and so I will have dinner set up for you um three days this week or five or whatever and you need to come up with the other two and if you don't I guess you'll just be hungry those nights that'll suck and so I I do think there are ways to to scaffold or take baby steps along the way but yes I think natural consequences is a, a very valid way to go with that.
0: Honestly, Farrah, I think the biggest way that you could scare some of our kids, and I'm with you because my kid is super technology driven. Oh my God, the internet's out you have to get a job to pay for the internet. That might highly motivate my child (laughs) to actually get his act together. (laughs) I mean, the whole world revolves around the internet, right? At least in our world. So, I mean, that would be like, My first thing, natural consequences, like, oh, dear, you're going to have to get a job because there's no Internet. (laughs) No, I I mean, you're not going to do everything
1: at once. Right. So you're going to pick a starting place. So if that's the thing
0: than it is um, oh my god that's caleb's worst nightmare my god the internet is out our power went out because of that power storm <laughs> and it's like oh my god the world is coming to an end but i tell you what you want to talk about an eye-opening experience guess what mom has to pay for that should mom not pay for that anymore you're gonna have to get a job my friend um but yeah it's like those baby steps for sure yeah Mm -hmm. Um, the one thing too, I was going to go back and talk a little bit about when you're saying, you know, is there a certain age of maturity? And the one thing I will say is terminology is changing. I I, I've been very open about the fact that I have dyslexia. And one of the things is that it's not like you get over dyslexia. It doesn't just go away and all of a sudden, like some of those challenges are gone. I would say for me, and again, this is, you know, when we're talking about executive function, I feel like there's elements that are similar is that it's not like the thing that my challenges got easier because I still struggle in some of those areas and they actually are still barriers today. What ended up the shift, and you're absolutely right, is that 25 to kind of 30 range where all of a sudden I started becoming much more confident in the fact that I had strategies to overcome it. And so I was less self-conscious about it. Um, They didn't slow me down as much. Um, I didn't, there was no shame associated with it. Like as you get older, like your shame meter kind of starts to be like, Oh my gosh, Holly, why do you give two hoots? What people think, you know, you're not stupid. You're very capable. So I started having more confidence in myself, but it takes that age range between that 25 and 30, 35, if you will, to actually it's, and it's not like it went away. It's just all of a sudden, um, right. I had better strategies and I was very confident in the things that I did well, that I can use and rely on to kind of help me when I was struggling, or I just know that it's going to be hard. Those are my go to and it becomes very natural. And so like, I don't even think yep. about it anymore. Is it still hard? It came up just this week where I guess maybe it was last week. I had to read, my daughter wanted me to read to her this section of like social studies, and it had to do with the Berlin Wall. And one of my challenges that I have is that I cannot phonetically sound out words because that's, you know, an element of the dyslexia. And so as I was reading it, I started feeling some of those, like that insecurity, where as I'm reading it, you know, cause all I do is I have memorized over time, how to sight read. Like I just recognize and memorize work so that I don't have to phonetically try and figure it out because it doesn't work for me. And when I was reading that article and I had to start sounding things out, I was just like, Oh my gosh, like they're there. Oh, oh my God. Like, what am I going to do? And I just told Kelly, I said, you know what, like, ugh, here's, this is hard for me because, um, I, I can't, I don't see this the way that you see that. So I was showing her what the word is, you know, I can get to this point And then it's like, see this word here, you're going to have to look this one up or have like the computer read that to you because that's where, and again, it was interesting to me, the shark music that came when all of a sudden it was presented to me in this moment of time where I was just like, oh my God, I've just, I can't do this. And then I was like, you know what? It's my child. And I need to just put out there my vulnerability of that. You know what? Things are still hard for mom because I have dyslexia and she was totally fine. And so then she actually read those ones to me because I couldn't do it. And so anyway, so it's actually one of those things where even at mid 40s, I'm still working past it. So whether it's a maturity thing or that, you know, my give a shit meter, someone is like, you know, okay, I just have to like be realistic and have confidence. I think there's an element of that, too.
3: Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, I do, too. And I think you're exactly right. The old stories back in the day of the. The people whose autism was cured or ADHD, you know, went away. It's it's that it's it's finding strategies that work and whether you realize they're using a strategy or life's just easier. Who cares? But I think it is exactly that.
3: I agree with you. Yeah. It looks like, Gerilyn, you have questions. Sure. I mean, I don't know if this is something that you can answer or not, but me neither. Um, <laughs> just, yeah. Well, I mean, it's. Worth a shot. I mean, just thinking about the kids that I work with, I do have a lot of like, you know, of course, they're all five and six year olds and they're still developing their executive functioning skills, especially things like So we're teenagers. Yeah. yeah. So we're a teenager. I've noticed that too. My my younger one was actually just diagnosed with non-hyperactive ADHD. So, but mm-hmm. just thinking about like my five and six-year-olds in kindergarten. Are there anything that I can be doing with them at school to help support, like enhancing or helping to, I guess, improve their executive functioning skills? And if so, like, what are the things that are going to give us the most bang for our buck? Like, there's only so many, you know, so many hours in the day, but I mean, ways that I can structure things for their routines, help them with their organization. Yeah. What can, what can I be doing to help support that?
1: Oh, I love that question. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and yes, I'm, I would have some thoughts on it. I can't give you the definitive answer. But as far as enhancing executive functioning skills for the very young, so executive functioning skills develop, your strengths and weaknesses develop in the teenage years. So in in that kindergarten age range is where they get to do that practice where they will figure out by practicing and being reinforced the things that they'll figure out their strengths. So you have the very cool opportunity to help kids develop which executive functioning skills are going to be their strengths, which is really pretty exciting if you think about it. So I think all of us may have some kind of different opinions about which of the executive functioning skills are most important. But if you want bang for your buck, I would practice the ones that, in your opinion, are the most important ones for life. And so the more that those are practiced and reinforced, the more that those will become strengths. So that's exciting. And I think, you know, as kids are developing strengths, there are things that work for the majority of people. Um, You know, like (laughs) I almost hate to say it. Holly's going to cringe with me. Um, Planners or calendars or whatever it is, you know, if if you're working on planning or time management or any of those things, there are things that work for a large group of society. And so exposure to those at a young age uh, is going to be really valuable. The the one caveat that I would give is that there's not any one best thing. And that's where we tend to have difficulty in teaching or coaching or whatever it is, that there are many different ways of working with the executive functioning skills. And so to use language like that while they're young and to it will really, really help with shame later, should, well, I mean, we're all gonna have executive functioning barriers, right? So your students are going to come up with things later in life where they have a really hard time with it, whatever, whichever one it is. But if you have used a language around that where it is supportive of there are different ways and this is going to work for some people and this is other ways are going to work better for other people, then they're going to grow up with that understanding. And so that shame and that ableism is going to dissolve away. So almost as important as practicing skills is the thought process around it, I think so.
0: I think that's a really good point. One of the things I learned, Jerrilyn, I I do love planners myself. I'm a hyper organized person because it definitely helps me compensate for some of my weaknesses. Again, I was somebody asked me about that last night. Is like, why do you think you're so hyper organized? And I honestly felt like early on I became over organized because I needed more time because some things took me a lot longer. And by being yeah. over organized in other areas, I could then like be more. Um, I would create more time where then because other things were very difficult. But with that being said, and I've shared this with Becky, one of my aha moments this year is, is that I love a calendaring system. Um, I like being hyper-organized, but that is not something that my children naturally gravitate to. And so with Caleb, one of the things that we found out, and again, it makes me a little cringy because it's just like, oh, it's so disorganized, is he has a post-it note system. So his system for being able to track and organize things is using post-it notes because he gets a lot of satisfaction. He writes down the post-it note that makes sense for him. That's going to jog his memory about what that means. And then he puts the post-it notes, you know, in his workspace. And then he gets a lot of satisfaction for like when the project is done or he accomplished that task or that reminder, crunching it up and throwing it into the garbage, a lot of satisfaction there. And so again, I get a little cringy because to me, it's like, Oh my gosh, post-it notes are disorganized. Right. But for him, totally works. And so again, allowing that, you know, just, I think that framework of, you know, everybody has a different way of staying organized. You guys have to figure out what works for you. Here's what works for me. Here's what works for Caleb. You know, whiteboard seems to work for one of my kids because they have a lot of satisfaction with writing it in and then erasing it and you can move things around. You can have a whiteboard with the post-it notes and that helps keep people organized. And so that's the thing. I think it's just, Hey, we have to try something collaborative problem solving. Let's figure out some options. Let's go online and see what other people do mm-hmm. to, Keep organized or whatever, and then just be like, try it, see how it works. If it doesn't work or there's not part, you know, we can kind of pivot and shift. But I don't know, just trying different things until something clicks. And and again, I'm not an executive function coach, but I just I have learned so much from Becky. And then we've tried different things because again, we're not. My big thing is shame is so debilitating. People feel so much for so many different things, and so trying to just keep a proper context of like, hey. We tried it. It didn't work. Let's go online, see if anybody else has suggestions, ideas, whatever, and then just give it a whirl and just, you know, keep trying different things. You know, I I don't know if we'll see how it works out because we're still working on it. Like, it's so funny because in some aspects, Caleb, my 13 year old with autism Mm -hmm. has developed some better strategies than their neurotypical teenagers that are 17 and 18. But go figure, everybody has to get to that own place where they're motivated to figure things out and again we're still struggling
1: well and if he's actively working on it and problem solving he's getting more experience so he's gonna move up the line faster then so that's not terribly surprising really it's not always age a lot of it is that amount of practice
0: yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, more practice, he added necessity because it's like, well, it didn't work. So I got to practice, go back. It's just kind of reciprocal. Um, so I have one other question. jerilyn um, did you have any follow ups to that? Or are we good? Or? I didn't. That made a lot of sense to me. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So the next question I have is actually it was sent to us and it's a um, it's a parent who has a child with epilepsy. And the specific question is, is that um, when a child has epilepsy, have you seen any you know trends or any information out there in the executive function world that says that, um, you know, a person with epilepsy has more challenges in executive functioning or that you have to maybe use strategies to help them through processing executive functioning. does epilepsy and just because you know that's just a different fundamental element of the brain have you do you have any information specific to epilepsy and how that works in conjunction with executive function
1: I don't have a lot of specific information, um, but that is considered a neurodiversity. I mean, it's it's more mechanical in nature, and yet it's another way that executive functioning is impacted with epilepsy. And I don't know, it sounds like these seizures are pretty apparent. And the question is, you know. Is it possible that there are other um, smaller seizures happening and so information is missed or uh, development can be delayed because the the brain's taking a lot of stops and starts, breaks. You know, I don't know how often these seizures are with this specific student, but the students after a seizure, they enter a post-ictal stage where not a lot of learning or um, participation really is able to happen. And so that's going to, on a, on a day that there's been a seizure, even if it was hours before um, that's going to impact the the progress and, and especially that post-dictal phase is not going to allow typical processing that the same student would have on a different day. So that is
2: definitely going to
1: impact executive functioning because executive functioning is the highest level of brain work so it takes all of the foundational pieces and pulls them together and so epilepsy is definitely going to impact executive functions so it's Probably going to be a little longer course, a little, some more repetition, probably longer trial periods of different things before there's a more confident, yeah, that's a real option or that's not working so well. I would expect that there would be longer periods of working on things in between the, oh, let's try the next thing phase.
0: So it's just it's just a slower trajectory where we have to just provide more support and more repetition, really, for the mastery uh, and developing the fine tuning of the different strategies that are going to work for that student.
1: That's what I would expect. Typically, again, I don't know the student, but that's what I would expect. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it's safe to say that, of course, you know, if we met one person with autism, we met one person with autism. And the same is to be said for a person that has epilepsy. So, again, the strategies that you're going to use to help them be successful in mastering or overcoming or really strengthening their. Utilizing their strengths to overcome some of their challenges—it's going to look different because every individual difference for every person, I think, definitely, regardless of epilepsy or regardless of autism or ADHD,
3: right. is going yeah. to look a little
0: different. So, yeah,
3: and I think really
1: a difference in with a student with epilepsy is that knowing that there are going to be days with seizures that. They're just gonna be foggier. They'll need to be set up probably with some more concrete supports, you know, lists of steps or whatever it is would probably be really beneficial for that group in particular.
0: I have another question. Sure. Fair, I'm so glad you do because I was just coming back
2: to you because I know that you have more questions. And so oh, I I'm... I am a I am I have a plethora of questions. I know you do. <laughs> oh good. I never run out. So. <laughs>
0: You should host a podcast, Vera. <laughs> um,
2: Becky, what do you suggest to help with improving some of these executive functionings, including what do you do specifically and who do you recommend coaching for? When do you recommend? I mean, I know you don't prescribe medication or anything like that, And and what do you find helps? You know, at different ages, what do you feel is appropriate that would be the most helpful resources to go to when when you're done, when you just cannot do any more (laughs) yourself? Wow, that was a lot of questions in one.
1: Um, I'm going to try to break it down. You'll probably have to prompt me with some whatever the pieces that I'm falling down on. So what kinds of things do I recommend in terms of working on executive functions? It depends on which one. It depends on the age. I don't do. you Do you have a specific thing that you would? Like to put out
2: there, and we can kind of work through it, or um, I don't know, maybe like the the getting started. I mean, I know planning and getting started on things are that's tough. Woo, is
0: it? It's
1: probably the number one um, most difficult thing to solve. So thanks for that one. Um, uh, No, initiation is super real. That is um, consistently across the board, the hardest thing for the students that I work with. So spot on with your question. And A lot of that comes back to some of the things that we've talked about with intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. You can't force someone to do something extrinsic motivations, you know, rewards and that kind of thing work best for the youngest of the students. They get a real charge out of, you know, getting the thing. Um, But as we get older and, you know, it, it always takes a little bit stronger reward or thing as we, as we move through that, it's it, the trick, like, um, our podcast on motivation, not very long ago, the trick then is to find the, the thing for that particular person. What is it that that's motivating? And it can be a small thing or large thing. And if there is not a thing, then it is helping expose them to experiences that are within their comfort zone, especially at first, to find something that's new and exciting and interesting. And then once that's there, Things can be related to it if it's schoolwork, um, like Holly was saying with Caleb, um, bringing the the dog into the powerpoints or the you know, it's easier to incorporate it in schoolwork. To incorporate it into life is more challenging, but can be done. And again, it's hard to give examples because it's pretty specific. Um, but those are the best secrets and then it's all about working through the the process of you know I'm trying to work with you to solve the thing and what is it that's most important to you about it to be able to do and then maybe you're chaining forward and maybe you're chaining backward or maybe you're starting in the middle and going whichever direction they want to go. But giving them the control is really going to help significantly with the stick-to-itiveness of the attempts at working toward initiation. And I'm sorry, it's not more specific than that, but that's really the process that I found is the most successful.
3: Hey, so
0: Becky, I was just thinking, could you kind of talk and you can use, you know, like Caleb as an example, because Caleb actually had kind of an initial assessment because really what Becky needed to find out too was Caleb's strengths and where his weaknesses were. And so it was really actually kind of cool. Actually, I would have thought as my child's parent, I would have been like, I could tell you where their strengths are and where their challenges were. Mm And I actually found that I was totally wrong based off of, and it was a questionnaire system about. How they perceived, you know, certain daily things were, you know, whether or not, you know, I enjoy like going, doing something new every single day versus, you know, that person I really enjoy, like, you know, slow repetitious sort of, sort of activity. So it's kind of geared towards that of just, you know, like kind of personal preferences I am good about, you know, watching the time so that I'm not late for things, just very benign how it was worded. was in a way that like, you know, any young person can, you know, read it and just be kind. And so, Caleb, I thought I was going to have to really help Caleb through some of those questions because he's just not self-aware, maybe in some aspects of it, which introspection, which was one of the things that, um, you know, is one of the things actually he he actually really is pretty well aware of like kind of what he does well and what he, you know, like his introspection is actually a little bit better than I would have expected. So that was actually surprising when then Becky sat down and she just explained to Caleb kind of where, like what his, I think it was, do you do three and three strengths and, or is it four strengths and like two barriers? I can't even remember. It's been a little bit. That's a super great
1: question because it's just where it falls. So wherever their cluster of of highs are and their cluster of low numbers, those are their strengths and weaknesses. Typically, most often it's three of each, but it can be anywhere from two to five.
0: Yeah. And so it's really interesting to then actually based off of how we answered it and then Becky analyzed it to then provide that feedback in terms of. You know, how is it possible that Caleb's, you know, introspection or whatever was was actually like better is because you know in some aspects he is very aware when i kind of think i always tease that he's the absent-minded professor and he is absent-minded because of his adhd but he does working memory, yep. working memory. Uh-huh. um but on the other part of it is is that you know he is way more cognitive and aware of kind of you know some of those other elements so anyway um you know he has actually a pretty strong self-esteem and um all things considered so i feel like okay so we're You know, at least some things we're doing right. So that was one aspect, Farah, in terms of just um, the process of helping that self discovery. And then, and then Becky asked the question, like, what of these things interest you in terms of exploring more? Um, And so then that was the really putting it in, Kayla, and having it be self directed when it comes to deciding of these, you know, things that are harder. What are things that you would actually like to focus in more on? And then you have that more buy-in in in terms of, what the focus is going to be. And then where Becky needs yeah. to kind of help pull some of that information out and help to coach him. So that was our experience. And I'm sure everybody is is different, but just in terms of kind of how to, um, now did Caleb have a choice? Like, Oh mom, I need to see this Becky Gardner. Um, no, because he didn't, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Cause he is just only 13 and he lives <laughs> in his little world of video games and just, you know, my mom cooks my food for me, but, um, in the world of, you know, Hey, Okay. Let me know. I think it's really important to know like what things we do really well and what tends to yeah. be easy for us because also too, it just makes him more aware of, Hey, you know, like I have some things that actually, I really well and yeah and again i was surprised like when when we went through them i was just kind of like wait are we talking about the same child but then as you were talking about that it made total sense as you broke down and what this would mean and how this would relate to caleb it made very it made a lot of sense as Mm -hmm. in my mind i hadn't really thought of it as some of his strengths um but anyway so i hope i don't know if that helps fair at all but it definitely then becomes more self-guided And again, keep in mind too, you were more talking to Caleb and I was there just taking notes for Caleb because Caleb needs someone to record some Mm -hmm. of these things so that he had, we had it captured so that he could really put some thought behind it. But this wasn't mom interjecting. This was really mom just writing down the information so that he had captured it there and he could give some thought to it. But it's really, it is self-guided when it comes to that person. It definitely, and and again, as you said, you cannot make a person want to be, I'm going to work. I I woke up today and I am just dying to come up with a planning system, a planner system. It's not really kind (laughs) of like that. It's more of the. These things really frustrate me. Oh, it sounds Caleb like those are all about kind of organizational things, you know, like so. And it's collaborative problem solving. So maybe, Becky, can you talk a little bit more about collaborative problem collaborative problem solving? Because I also feel like that's kind of where some of the emotional buy in comes from, because they're part yeah. of the process. And so yeah. I think that also when you're talking about executive coaching and trying to get that emotional buy in, yes, we have to let them feel because they need to start realizing that wow. I guess, living in mom's basement or having my mom supply my internet. That's Caleb saying, it's like, wait, you're not going to supply the internet for the rest of my life. No, I'm not. You know, it's not easy to get there. Can you just talk a little bit about that collaborative problem solving? Because that's really where, again, that emotional buy-in of these things are hard for me. And it really frustrates me. And then how you work together to kind of sleuth out. And it's also wonderful that it's coming from someone else other than, yeah mom, or dad, or whoever, brother, sister, whoever. So would you mind just talking a little bit about what that looks like?
1: Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought that up because it um sort of escapes me at times that that is the approach because I do it day in and day out and I didn't, well, I don't always analyze it, but yes, you're exactly right that, that having a strengths-based approach makes all of the difference and you know well a lot of us that have struggled myself and my children included we do have all of that shame around all of these things and it's just not something that you want to think about and it's not a place you want to live so it's way easier to play video games or live in the denial world than uh, to actually face them because it's hard it's it doesn't feel good That is really key. You're you're exactly right, is that it's the approaching it from a strengths perspective is the game changer and focusing on strengths first. So you're right. We do an executive functions questionnaire. And before we ever go into the barriers and the difficulties that we're going to need to focus on in coaching, we talk about the strengths and the amazing things that make you, you and why it's so important to capitalize on those strengths for areas of difficulty and to shift whenever possible we also talk about you know if you're on a team and you have difficulty with initiation you're not going to be the one to start the project but maybe you have the strength in the planning so you could do the structure or maybe you are more the the closer um the one that's able to wrap it all up and the executive functioning skills that i set that i Use it's defining and achieving goals, it's the closer. Um, So, if you can shift what you're doing so that it's within your areas of strength, the things that just come naturally to you, life's going to be so much easier. So, using that two pronged approach with strengths, where you use strengths to help with your weaknesses, or you shift away from your weaknesses and engineer it so you're working in your areas of strength is really huge. So um, yes, thank you for bringing all of that up. And that's exactly then how to lead into the collaborative problem solving piece is that you want to work on whatever the thing is. And usually when someone comes to me, there's a specific issue and the student and the parent are both hyper aware of it, which is why they've come to me. And so, you know, I can say, well, I know that you want to work on whatever it is. So in order to do that, this is how we're going to use the strengths that we've discovered that you have. And that'll be one part of it. But then also, we're going to work together to figure out the best way for you as an individual to work on this thing that's not going to look like how your mom did it or your dad did it or your brother did it or your teacher or the guy down the street or whatever that it's it's your own approach that works for you and the only way that we can find that is you actually are going to be the one to find it i'm just going to help coach you through that so get really specific about what's going to be solved and you know Rome wasn't built in a day, right? So you're not going to solve all of the pieces of the large issue. You're going to start somewhere. So where? What is that starting spot? And then brainstorming. It's it's really brainstorming, and it never comes from me or the adult that's or the um, facilitator that is doing the collaborative problem solving. It always comes from the person that wants to solve the problem, find the solution. And because they're not going to come up with something that they feel is out of their range or beyond their capabilities and any idea is a good idea, even if it seems pretty out there a lot of times there's creativity in that and we there's some piece that we can capitalize so you never edit during brainstorming learn that in school right so we just every idea as many as possible and sometimes um none there are none and and that happens and that's real as I know that happens to me at times and so then it's you know do you want me to throw you a lifeline do you Do you want to call your grandma and ask her? Do you want to talk to your pastor? I mean, I I don't know who, whoever they're close with. Do you want to talk to other adults that have been through this and find out ideas that they had? And then I have, of course, the benefit of having worked with a lot of different students. And so I can say, do you want to hear some things that other students have come up with? So getting the brainstorming list is a piece that's large by itself. And it doesn't happen necessarily in one sitting. You know, it's okay, well, that's a good start. Let's come back to this tomorrow, next week. Let's go to dinner on Thursday and see if we can add to it, you know, whatever it is. And then once there's a, a very solid list that has come from the student themselves in one way or another, they borrowed ideas, or they came up with them, however, but it comes from them. And the facilitator has no input. (laughs) It has to come from them, or it's not, it's not going to work. Then same rules apply for which one do you want to try first. And that's really the language that makes it less difficult to start. You know, it's up to you. It's your choice. And it's not the answer. It's just our first attempt. And there's so there's no difficulty, shame, whatever. If it doesn't pan out, it was just the first try. That's all good. So finding those ways that uh, don't lead to the dead ends is a little tricky, but they're there. And it's it's really just being as open as possible to different ideas, because I've told Holly this story before. Um, The first time my mentor did this with my son, I found it really terrifying because he came up with ideas that I would never want him to follow. And I had to just deal with that. I had to just take it. And then when Later on, as they were deciding on the first thing to work on, the facilitator would say things like, and how do you think that might work out six months down the road or a year down the road? And then had him sort of play through, you know, what might that mean? And then um, in discussing his pros and cons not hers not mine to each idea then he was able to land on an idea that wouldn't have been my first choice but it certainly wasn't my last and in the end he was perfectly able to solve it in a way that I never would have come up with so and that's that's the beauty of collaborative problem solving is it's it's just leads to results that work for the individual and it's not it's not necessarily what we think should be.
0: Well, and here's one thing, too. At no time did you have me as the parent fill out any paperwork questionnaires about what I felt their strengths or weaknesses are. No. You'd never ask me, in terms of like, <laughs> area do you think you should work on first for Caleb? Never did that. It is 100% Caleb's perception of how he feels like he does doing those different things, preferences, and then the like, which one interests you in terms of like, where you want to focus first. And so I think it's really important that while it's not that parents aren't involved because there is some discussion because it's like, we have to have some scaffolding to try and help them, you know, work through an attempt to try their strategy for how they want to attempt to you know, work on the, the thing that they have chosen, you know, and sometimes parents need coaching on now, how am I support, how am I going to support this brainstorming idea oh that she's chosen as being like what he wants to do? How, how does this work in terms of a parent supporting it? And so that's where Becky then will help in terms of, you know, I think a good first step is to do this, or if he asked you that, but again, collaborative problem solving has nothing to do with me as a parent. And that's one of those things where, where sometimes it just, needs finessing is how can you support them in the decision that they chose like first attempt is going to be X, Y, or Z. And that's where, again, you know, it's not like parents aren't involved. It's just that you're you and you might even go into it thinking, Oh my God, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. But guess what? we kind of have to let the train wreck happen with some scaffolding in place so that it's not absolutely terrible. But again, um, and then reinforcing the, Hey, you know, like, what did we learn from that? Like, you know, what are the cool takeaways? And so it's not, this is not a short quick fix. That's no, no, not in any way.
1: Yeah. Um, But the train wreck, as you put it, um, which is the perfect description sometimes is the natural consequences. And in unless a student feels that and experiences it, it's it's not real world. And so it makes real learning much harder to happen. So sometimes they have to fail the test or sometimes, you know, within parameters where they're still safe and, and life won't end, but in a reasonable way, failure does need to be experienced. Yeah.
0: Any other questions for Becky, before we wrap up this podcast or final thoughts, or maybe um, wonderings or things you might have taken away from the Q and a on executive function.
1: I have to say, I have loved these questions. They're
0: spot on and very real world and i appreciate them a lot it's almost as if we're all living a shared experience of executive challenges with children i know how is this or or ourselves or ourselves oh oh my goodness and i i will be perfectly honest You know, obviously I have frustrations and concerns about my children, but some of this is, you know, when you start diving into executive function, all of a sudden you start identifying with some of the, your personal experiences in terms of where your strengths are and where your your challenges lie. So it's definitely for me been a learning experience just, you know, of my own. So, Becky, can you give a plug for your coaching business? It's a life of my own. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about how, if people had questions, where they can find you? Probably easiest to find me via the website. I don't have
1: a storefront. I do things virtually. Uh, a life of my own.com is, where I am, and the easiest way to get a hold of me.
0: Perfect. The other thing too is um we have listeners that are listening, not just in Spokane. And so um Becky, just to clarify, you actually work, the majority of your clients are not necessarily in Spokane. And because of the technology, sure. everyone getting very comfortable with Zoom, um it makes it really easy to be able to access a, a person with your skill set, even if um, proximity becomes an issue.
1: Yeah. And it's, it works really well with high school and college students because we can access all of their things online. They can screen share their assignments and their grades in there, whatever it is. And we can go through that stuff very easily online. So it works. It works really well.
0: Yeah. So with that, if there are no other final questions or final thoughts, then I'm going to go ahead and just thank you, Becky, for joining us and being willing to do a question and answer session. Because I know it's, uh, again, you have to be very spontaneous because you don't know what questions you're going to get. So I appreciate the fact that you took your time and and gave us the information that you did. And with that, um, we'll go ahead and put Becky's contact information in the show notes so that you can find it. And we thank you for joining this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.